Welcome to the Owl Once Was Lost Cold Case Edition, and today we will continue with the Johnny Gosh story, which out of the two main missing person cases included in the Polaroid episode is the most unique and jaw-dropping just due to the amount of information that came out of the case, and not just interesting, but much, much more so since it came directly from Johnny's mother, Noreen. The Tara Calico case is also equally disturbing, and we will hit that up next week. First, I want to thank the listeners who have come on board since the last episode and not just downloaded the phone application, but also subscribed to the podcast and supported both via Patreon. We only first asked for support last episode, and we will still bring you these real-world cases ad-free until we decide on a worthy service or product to sponsor the effort. But that would just be for the the podcast. The application will always remain free, ad-free. That's not what it was built for. It was built as a missing persons tool. The app, uh, as I just mentioned, is free. It's always going to be free. It's truly a gift and a godsend for missing person cases. Just with its ease of use and the actual speed to upload your loved one in the event they go missing, and with a whopping 800,000 children minimally becoming a missing person stat each year and only a 6% chance of finding them alive if the case isn't solved and said child returned within only that first hour. After that, things go downhill very, very quickly. So this is going to be... Uh, pretty much almost every case, since if you don't have the app, you're going to be in a state of shock and probably spending time calling others to see if the child is with them or searching a store, etc. It's it's just the child is with them or uh, has left the store. All all of this is missing time that really needs to be first uh, reported, obviously, to police, regardless of their policy and different uh, precincts or different uh, areas, <clears throat> depending whether it's the sheriff's department or city police have different policies, but you need to report them uh, as being missing first and then immediately upload to the OWL once was lost phone app so that everyone in your area can begin searching in real time. That's what makes us different than any other missing persons application. This is why each and every one of you needs to be supporting and passing on the app To everyone in your social media circles, this is how the tool will become super strong and more and more area covered by OWL. This gives a scenario that would otherwise be bleak into a real shot at getting the person found swiftly when the alert goes out and then the OWL family begins searching their local area that's surrounding the point of origin where the individual or individuals went missing from. So as this OWL family grows and spreads out across the nation with each uh, new member, <clears throat> I want to apologize for my, my voice. I am just have a bit of a, uh, just a chest cold. It's not COVID. <laughs> I already got tested. So as the OWL family grows and spreads out across the nation with each new member and the uh, super simple mathematics uh, via statistics all working for you instead of against you, if you just get caught off guard, which is what will happen in a situation like this, even uh, if it's an elderly family member that possibly wandered off from a living facility, can and do not get reported as fast as they should. And each passing minute of them being missing is another minute of crucial life-altering time that, excuse me, that something awful can and do occur at alarming rates. And that time just keeps ticking off. Many are found, luckily, but there is also a very, very large number, um, actually a much, much higher statistic, and that number is much, much higher when we're talking about that 800,000, which is just children alone. That's not even adults uh, that do get found. These are the stats that people do not want to think about, and it gets swept under the rug. But as you will see in this story, you have to always be vigilant. And unfortunately, if you don't have the OWL app, you're going to be spending a lot of 
money for private detectives and the like. If indeed your loved one is not found swiftly, it's just the truth of the matter that after the first week or even a few days, depending on where you are, local law enforcement will become distracted with more cases. Remember that 800,000 stat. How do you think they have time to work any leads if indeed there are any to be had that will be into the millions? If you have that kind of a number, you're talking about millions of leads <clears throat> that are going to come in. So in fact, the 800,000 is super conservative number. It's a bit dated. That figure is rapidly going up. It's just, just not enough human power to go around to every case. So, you know, as far as detectives or the, the FBI maybe being brought in to work a case, um, it's just not enough manpower for every single case. So it's up to us and us alone to be prepared. And that's what we are gifting to you and the ability to have like-minded individuals all looking for your loved one in real time. So please, if you've been listening to this podcast and haven't downloaded the OWL, once was lost, missing persons app, do so immediately. It's available on iOS. It's available on Android. Don't wait and then forget to get it. It only takes a minute to download and give it a five-star rating. If you do indeed appreciate the work put into this by Nick Conway, the app creator who does this out of the kindness of his heart and could be reason your own child is found one day in that first crucial hour or anyone's child for that matter. So here's the deal. We have a super simple and affordable monthly $3 patron donation. If you just go to patreon.com forward slash once was lost, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com with a forward slash and then once was lost, O-N-C-E-W-A-S-L-O-S-T. That if you have this app and we have a ton of you that have made the choice to be prepared and responsible adults already, I'd like to encourage you to please donate to the one cause you can actually see working for you each and every day, unlike many other causes. Then we have some higher tiers that give you producer level recognition and the thanks of every person out there with children in tow and or parents in need of a wise and watchful owl comforting the vulnerable at all times, night and day. There's some cool merch you receive with these higher levels and are greatly appreciated. But right now, our goal is just simply for each of you to please give this some serious consideration to just come in at the $3 a month level, and that will allow us to grow much faster uh, because this works simply on laws of large numbers, which just means it, it narrows and reduces the chances or even the event of you becoming an actual stat, which of course you do not want to be. We already have a number of people that have taken that leap and even a couple that opted for the OWL logo t-shirts that come with it. Again, this is all provided through Patreon. It's going to get better and better. This is just something we just started so keep that in mind, and we're not even concerned with those higher levels. Just $3 a month allows us to keep this app uh, running and uh, keep it up to date and also adding more and more features that aren't cluttering it but are useful, that are useful uh, additions to the app to help us in locating uh, that individual or individuals. So the stuff's pretty cool. It's provided by Patreon, like I said, so that merch will get even nicer as we progress. But it's not about the merch. It's about being part of the solution and not a liability. So trust me when I say it's fast. The minute you're done uploading the pre-made form, pre form on the app, since you remember, I'm assuming it then goes out to everyone in a 40-mile radius, depending on the length of time it's been there. And I'm saying that I'm assuming just based on the information and how much time has passed by is going to determine what the radius is going to be that we're going to send out the uh, alerts to the other OWL members so that they're all searching. Point here is don't wait. We have no issues if you want to post two minutes after you realize your loved one is missing. Uh, much rather have a false alarm than a true abduction. And if we can hit them with that kind of speed, 
we have a good chance of catching them along with your call to 911, which needs to be first, provide the basic info of the where, who, what they look like, and when they became missing, then explain that while you wait for law enforcement to show up, you need to log your information to your missing persons tool that works in real time and you will have people immediately working for you. You can explain that to them and just do it while you're on the phone with them or hang up and wait for law enforcement to come and then do that immediately, immediately do it while on the phone with them. Like I said, but just understand that the faster you can upload, the faster people from your area can be searching. Please subscribe to this podcast and please rate and review it for us so that we can be recommended by Apple So this is especially for Apple. It's very, very important with their algorithms. We keep explaining this every show. We've got tons of listeners, tons of downloaders out there. We have gotten uh, more reviews, but this this should be well over 100 or a couple of hundred minimally. Um, We know we're not going to get every person to do it, but that's where the numbers should be. So if you guys could please... If you like what you hear, you like what we're doing, you understand what we're doing here and how important this work is, that if you could do two things is, you know, rate and review, uh, you know, a five-star uh, review would be phenomenal, but really just anything you want to review it and rate it as is fine. Um, and that's for both, for the phone app, uh, which you just go and download, go to iOS or to the Play Store for uh, Google and they're up there ready ready for you to download. So, and then after that, I'll also be in contact with you if needed to gain and gather additional information that can help the searchers and find your loved ones. That's how fast and efficient this is. So we would also be doing this in real time, doing a very quick interview with you to get even more specific information that is uh, obviously relevant to, to the case so we can find the individual. So again, we now and for the first time only ask for $3 a month, folks, so that we can upkeep the app, maintain it in its current condition while adding more relevant features for you as technology changes and more and more pieces of the tool become available. You will also still keep this podcast totally free and never, ever have a ridiculous paywall behind it. We may at some point accept a sponsor, but that's only if they fit and pass the standards we uphold. The case on Johnny Gosh hit so close to home for me on an event uh, that happened in my own life that parallels Johnny's ordeal. So if you go to the Pull Up a Pew podcast, that's P-U-L-L-U-P-A-Pew, like a church pew, P-E-W, podcast, um, that'll be down in the show notes or or somewhere where you can actually... uh, or just go to the website. There's a lot of different locations that you can go to download that. I do a deep dive into a cult, uh, religious cult that I was uh, sent to. Unfortunately, it was it was a big, big botch. I was a teenager. My parents were lied to. They had no idea what they were getting into. And it parallels a lot of the information that um, you know, you're going to hear about here in the Johnny Gosh story. As far as who was involved and why, there's literally thousands of these locations across the United States and in other countries. Though the place that I was at, the Bethel Baptist Boys and Girls Home, this this cult was compartmentalized between being a religious cult and uh, the 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 owner, quote owner, uh, Herman Fountain and his son Bubba Fountain. Yeah, I'm not making that up. That's their names. In the middle of Mississippi, basically in the middle of a swamp type area. This is where the facility was, which I escaped from. And it, even Congress got involved. They did a raid, but it was uh, tipped off three days before the raid. Um, I'm not going to get into it. You really need to listen to it because, again, it parallels exactly what's happening here to Johnny. I also had a paper route at the same time that Johnny did at that same age, at the same time. We were basically around the exact same age when all of this happened. And I also got uh, picked up. Luckily, it was the, it was a real situation and I wasn't abducted. But uh, remembering back now, the guy and, and uh, his car and everything else passing through our neighborhood slowly was a bit creepy. But anyways, thank God it was just for delivering papers. So 
If you have hit the five stars for us and when you're done, if you want to join the Patreon supporters so that the uh, app is always ready and working 24-7, I mean what in the podcasting world can be more worthy of a $3 a month donation, folks. What else out there is really worth it? I mean, I have a lot of shows that I enjoy and I listen to, but they're really, you know, about entertainment value where we're, we're a tool, we're what's called immersive podcasting and uh, where, you know, the audience is able to get involved specifically on the cases and what we're doing. They're encouraged to, or you're encouraged to all download that app whether you even have kids or not, because even if your friends have kids, we, you want to push them to get this app so that it's available. God forbid the worst happens, but if they don't, then you can upload the information. You can do it for them. So, um, will they come out in real time in your defense and get active eyes and ears immediately searching for your child or children when, and, uh, because, we truly do care here, guys, and we know the highly horrific stats out there of children that are abducted, and there are so many of them, it boggles the mind, and how once that first hour passes, your shot at finding them alive gets dangerously close to zero. The OWL app, this podcast, and all your fellow listeners make that stat grow exceptionally lower. No, we can't guarantee that we're going to find each and every person there. Of, of course, uh, there's too many variables, but what we can guarantee is our devotion and our tenacity to get things done. Again, we're a tool, folks. We are an immersive podcast that is a tool and a partner for the phone app. The only other app out there that's even remotely as good as this one is the FBI Zone app, but the, the big difference is the FBI app is not specifically a missing persons app. So they've got a lot of good information on there and they could also be contacted later, but you're not going to get a force of people out there searching immediately. That's not what the app is for, for their app. But it's the only one, like I said, that I've even looked at that, you know, works and, you know, looks as good and has, you know, professional features built in. So just like with Johnny here in this case, uh, you know, let's, let's just get into it. This is uh, from an article that appeared in the Alternative Weekly. Uh, it was called the Point Blank Des Moines, uh, Iowa, obviously, in early April 2005. Keep in mind that Johnny went missing in 1982. Uh, the day this story came out, the paper actually closed and the writer of this piece was fired. And it makes you wonder if... Some of the information that he had in here, um, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it either, um, caused this paper to shut down. So let's just get into it. So Noreen Gosh sits in a booth at the West Des Moines Village Inn, nursing a cup of coffee and managing, despite her larger-than-life personality, to blend into the surroundings and keep a low profile in the almost empty restaurant. She is open with her thoughts and willing to share what information she can, yet she remains guarded and cautious and thoughtful in a manner often mistaken as cold and standoffish. She thinks carefully as she speaks about her son Johnny and the players in a bizarre conspiracy surrounding his disappearance in 1982 that continues to evolve and may finally be on the verge of breaking down. Just because you don't want to believe in something is true, says Noreen slowly, that doesn't mean it's not true. It's a statement that bears repeating. Just because you don't want to believe something is true, that doesn't mean it's not true. Anyone who has heard the theory surrounding Johnny Gosh's disappearance on September 5th, 1982, knows they are difficult to accept. If there are satanic pedophiles working in the top levels of government and law enforcement selling kids on the black market, and forcing them into prostitution, pornography, extortion, and things far worse. It's easier as a human being to simply believe that such things could not be true. And I'm just going to add in here, this is why you need to listen to the Pull Up a Pew episodes on the Bethel Baptist Boys Home uh, Cult episode, because it really does dovetail with this perfectly. 
about what was going on there, how it was happening, and uh, just the, the amount of facilities and the way these things were done and the connections with government. So, and, and look today, I mean, you've got the Epstein case, there's children that are being found all around the world. You're just not hearing about it in the news, but you're, you're founding, uh, finding tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children. That's not an exaggeration. Um, they are, you know, going after these, uh, sex trafficking rings, um, that have these children in bondage and, actually getting them, releasing them, and reuniting them with their parents. This has been going on for the better part of the last two years. So it's it's incredible. It's it's an incredible thing to see right now. So Noreen knows this all too well. She didn't want to believe her child was kidnapped, sexually abused, and tortured, brainwashed, that's again key, and sold into slavery. But she accepts this now and as indisputable truth, and she is not alone. Many others accept the existence of a vast network of high-profile people, powerful politicians, business leaders, law enforcement, and government agents who exist in a subculture of degenerates who participate in child pornography, snuff films, drugs, devil worshiping, brainwashing, and kidnapping. And again, I can attest to this, excuse me, that this actually does happen. There are these groups. They do exist. There is proof that these groups do exist. So as Noreen believes that Johnny and hundreds of other children like him, it's actually thousands, was forced into the life of depravity by those who kidnapped him. But Johnny's story has been told a thousand times. It's been analyzed, disputed, and ridiculed just as frequently Of course, you're going to have naysayers because they just don't understand. They're not willing to accept that this stuff does happen. So we've uh, neither the time and the space nor the inclination to repeat it here in full. As tragic as it may be, it's old news. Nothing major has happened in the case for some time, and the alleged players in the story have been silent, absent, or simply missing for years until recently. In the past few months, there's been a flurry of activity among the people once related to this case and the conspiracy that surrounds it. In the midst of this commotion, some believe Johnny Gosh has been found very much alive. Recent events began with Jeff Gannon, the right-wing journalist who was found to have gained access to the White House press pool with few credentials and a fake name. The death of Hunter S. Thompson followed shortly after, and I remember that news and the correlation between him and uh, trafficking rings, which was just a real shame to hear about since he was one of my favorite authors. The arrest of two men seemingly unrelated in Nebraska and Virginia within days of the Gannon story and Thompson's death also play a role in the story. And all these events, some suggest, are related to the 12-year-old paperboy kidnapped from West Des Moines 23 years ago. And if they are right, there is much more to come. Now remember, this is from 2005, so the just for the dates to keep in mind. In late January, a conservative journalist in Washington, D.C. was found to have gained access to the White House press pool despite using a fake name, and despite the fact that he once worked as a high-priced homosexual escort, Jeff Gannon was a White House correspondent for Talon News, who regularly attended the White House press briefings and at least four press conferences with President George W. Bush, who also comes up in the in the Pull Up a Pew episodes, guys. So again, this this, this is running directly parallel, which is amazing after I had uh, read into the details of this case. On January 26, 2005, Gannon asked a question of the president that was so friendly and factually inaccurate that some of his colleagues began looking into his background. Talon News, it was learned, is a largely disguised tool of the Republican Party, and Gannon's credentials as a journalist consist solely of a training course at the Leadership Broadcast School of Journalism. After two days of training that cost only $50, Gannon was officially a graduate of a journalism school and on his way to the White House press pool. That's ridiculous how easy that was for him to do. It was soon discovered that Gannon's real name is Jeff 
Guckert, that's G-U-C-K-E-R-T, and that he has also gone by the nickname Bulldog when listing himself on the internet as a homosexual escort and personal trainer, charging around $200 per hour for his discreet services. Gannon was removed from the White House and resigned from Talon News on February 8th. Gannon Gate quickly became the presidential scandal of the hour, though the story faded from public view, as most do, almost all do, as politicians and the media eagerly turned their attention to such pressing matters as steroids and baseball and the Terry Schiaffo situation back at that time. But before long, internet bloggers had picked up the story and began to think back to the administration of the President Bush's father, which was rocked by a scandal that allegedly involved a high-level official giving private late-night tours of the White House to teenage male prostitutes. Again, something that I mentioned and got into in the Pull Up a Pew episode. So this is this is really amazing to have somebody else writing about the same information and backing it up. The New York Times and the Washington Post both wrote about the story and the eventual death of Washington lobbyist Craig Spence, who reportedly arranged the visits. Spence, it has been suggested, was preparing to admit publicly that he was using the teenage boys to blackmail high-powered politicians in the Beltway. He committed suicide before he had the opportunity to do so. How many of you believe he committed suicide there? Okay, right. With a, just like Epstein committed suicide. All, all of this stuff is connected, folks. With a gay escort gaining access to the White House during a Bush administration, while many of the same officials from the 80s are back in power, the question became, is there a connection? Private investigator Sherman H. Skolnick posted a story about the Gannon debacle on www.rens.com a site known for its conspiracy theories and publicly stated on February 19th that Gannon is Johnny Gosh. Andy Stevenson, a blogger from Seattle, sim- uh, familiar with the details of the Johnny Gosh case and the child sex rings in Nebraska detailed in the book, the Franklin cover-up, which is the name of the book, began with a group of other writers and investigators to ponder the claim They looked at markings on Gannon's body and compared them to those reported on Johnny Gosh. They considered the lack of personal information about Gannon's early years. They considered that Johnny was alleged to have been used as a gay prostitute for blackmail purposes. They considered that the high-powered people alleged to have kidnapped and brainwashed children as part of the government's Monarch Project and MK Ultra program, again, Two things that have been proven to be true. They are not conspiracies. Those programs did occur within the government. Those included Johnny and did so to use them in a variety of ways to advance their own agendas. And they contacted Noreen Gosh and discussed the idea with her. The first she'd heard of the theory, and they too came to the conclusion that Jeff Gannon is none other than actually Johnny Gosh. The internet has been abuzz with the theory ever since, and in a way, it makes perfect sense. You've got a kid abducted and brainwashed into doing the bidding of the government officials as part of a top-secret mind-control program. So now that he's older, why not put him into the White House to soften press briefings to make the president look better? The suggestion from many is that Gannon is a monarch program child turned adult operative, and the monarch program was just a program of uh, brainwashing activities and other things. There was thousands of people involved actually in that program. This is why I'm not going to be forced into saying allegedly, allegedly anymore. The evidence is overwhelming at this point, And I have a firsthand knowledge of uh, a lot of this stuff uh, occurring. Uh, again, I was involved in a seemingly stringent boys home that reported to use military discipline on the children to break you down and build character You have to go and listen to those few episodes I've created on the Pull Up a Pew podcast. The link will be in the show notes. It's also ad-free, and we have never asked for donations officially until today due to the overwhelming work it takes to uncover these connections, how they apply today, and what's really occurring behind closed doors, or even in plain sight at most of these so-called facilities for children reforms, um, reform schools. 
where they openly say they will break you and build you back up under their own agenda, but they're, they're truly not reform schools. Like if you did a, a, a check online right now and you were looking for a facility for your child that's acting up or whatever, there's really maybe only 5% of the ones that you're going to see are legitimate online. It's, it's that prevalent. It's that, it's that big of a deal. So Anyways, uh, you know, it's all about compartmentalization of different factions and victims um, within each, uh, one being the religious faction of this this group um, where I was at that some saw as being the only message and others who were singled out for specific brainwashing via uh, overwhelming mental and physical abuse. This is why you have in one in a hundred on YouTube or a blog about the subject claiming to have done just fine while they were there. Well, of course they did as they were singled out to only receive certain forms of punishment and to only hear certain statements of the purpose of them being there. It's deceptively evil in nature and you have to be immersed in it to understand the dynamics of this method of control. Bottom line, and we will go back to Noreen and company here, is that the ties to the two things uh, you know, connected to Johnny went through and no matter how crazy it may seem years ago that no one is laughing now the techniques used come directly from the maoist doctrine used during the great cultural purge of china millions died during that purge the head of the cult home i escaped from was a full-on psychopath and i believe he was the second coming uh, i'm sorry he believed <laughs> that he was the second coming and we were to be his army this this group of children that were being kept there this guy didn't even realize the truth, even withheld from him in order to make the subsequent abuse of another smaller segment of boys and girls from the so-called institution. So he he was also uh, uh, brainwashed into believing that he was really running this facility and it was being run based on these absurd religious uh, doctrines and uh, you know, that Armageddon was going to occur any day and we were going to be a children, a children's army of God in order to fight back. And they kept arms on site. It was very much like Waco. If you want to look at it like that, it was very, very much like Waco. Um, and unfortunately, again, it was tipped off before it was raided by the FBI, ATF, and the um, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. So they actually weren't able to find a lot of the things that they were looking for because they they did have arms on site there and of course a lot of children that just disappeared which i witnessed myself and went through a, a, a pretty horrible ordeal because of that so his indoctrination was by lester roloff um herman fountain the guy i'm talking about it was entwined in a certain texas governor which of course is going to be bush um, there's no political agenda here in what I'm explaining. It's just the facts of the case. The abuse saw no bounds or affiliations with one organization or a political party, but encompassed the worst of the worst of all of them. The subsequent cleaning house, many of you may have seen hidden in the back pages of the news or, uh, literally tens of thousands of children being liberated over the past couple of years from trafficking organizations and the connections of this home in Mississippi and its connections to many politicians within Congress and within the state houses and governors where mostly boys were flown in for the use of these people at parties. This is fact people and not a conspiracy theory. I will try and list some links for you in the show notes if possible. Just realize as we go over this info that there are literally thousands of these facilities still in operation, as I mentioned, um, direct and brazen activities of the Bethel Baptist Boys and Girls Home is and will stand out as the worst of the worst as far as utilizing real techniques to break down the child's mind, to fracture it into remembering only specific details due to their brain still developing and having a certain trust in adults, especially those adults that held your life in their hands, literally held them in your, their hands. Sooner or later, you'd have a certain section of these minors that was unwavering in their devotion to the cult, even to this day, over 35 years ago, 
They even set up camp there due to the state's laws and being forced to sign your child over. I'm talking about Herman Fountain and family. They set up in Mississippi because of the state laws there, um, which allowed parents to sign over their children to these facilities. And that way they could do anything they wanted with them. Which again, if you listen to the story uh, over there and pull up a few podcasts, you'll be blown away by what happened there. And uh why it was the biggest case of the 20th century as far as a children's cult is concerned and why it was swept under the rug. There actually used to be video of the uh, congressional hearing when YouTube first appeared, but it's nowhere to be found anymore. When you hear the details laid out there, that you know it makes you think of the children that I saw come and go from the Bethel home and what I endured due to what I saw there on my own, the eventual escape and evasive maneuvers hiding from them for three weeks in a swamp. I don't mean a wetland or a wet area. I mean a swamp with large cypress trees and about four feet of water in most places up to a few inches as it abutted onto large properties or farmland or ranch land, only to eventually head into the tiny town of Lucidale after those three weeks, where even the local law enforcement was desperate for evidence against this sick and twisted house of horrors. I was shown book after book of children as young as four, small children abused in all ways, forms, and fashions, and abandoned by unwed mothers at the time, beaten badly, and a lot of them with broken arms and legs, having my own ankle broken by my own experience there when I first arrived and was beaten severely, or even court-ordered children, again, having this connection, not just with the highest positions in the land, but also trickle down to local politicians, blanketing the facility, state, and highest positions in the land, such as governors and even presidents. So they protected it basically to the point that before it was raided and based on my own and a few more sworn testimonies was raided, but tipped off, as I mentioned earlier, three days beforehand evading a full-on Waco situation. It's one of the biggest stories to ever be swept under the rug. The congressional hearings calling for the raid used to be on YouTube, as I mentioned, many years back, but they're gone. It was on 2020. It was on 60 Minutes. Shows are still up, but you have to really search. And this is one of the biggest cover-ups, I mentioned, of the 20th century for the just the amount of children that went through these facilities that starting back in the 50s and moving all the way up through the 80s and lasting with Bethel. And then they kind of switched and did become true military type facilities. But there's these WASP programs that are out there now that are uh, pretty, pretty horrific. And you read a lot about uh, sexual and physical abuse going on there as well. I can leave that up to you to look into that uh, WASP uh, facilities. I think it's W-A-A-S-P or W-A-S-S-P, either one of those. So that's how you're going to get information on that. Um, really, Brother Fountain, what he was doing, he was making money off of child labor, monies provided by wealthy parents as well during the days of Tough Love and Hugs Not Drugs, which were two total scam organizations two of the most shady organizations to ever exist in the pantheon of child abuse, direct candidates, <laughs> they are. Uh, we will do a dive into that on Pull Up a Pew soon. Um, we will continue to do a few more episodes to explain uh, more of what happened there and why it happened and how it happened. So anyways, um, it's more than likely, and I mean more than 90% of the facilities you find online are tied into what are called, again, these WASP facilities. So this is a story for another time. Just go and have a listen, and when we're done, to those episodes and put them up against this telling of what Noreen witnessed and heard. So let's turn back to that now. Gannon, according to investigators like Skolnick, is involved in high-level espionage and is also an expert on torture. He is said to have been an expert penetration agent using sex to compile negative data on U.S. and foreign governmental officials, and is also believed responsible for the Valerie Plame White House leak that allegedly caused 70 CIA undercover agents to be murdered. 
Yet others suggest that Gosh took on the persona of James Gannon slash Jeff Guckert. That's G-U-C-K-E-R-T, Jeff Guckert, and gained White House access with the eventual goal of exposing the people who kidnapped him and put him and his family through hell. Gannon is alleged to have a publishing deal with a Russian uh, printing company, which some believe will result in a tell-all book that exposes those who've paid for his services, as well as the pedophilia ring that he, as Gosh, was victimized after his kidnapping. I'm convinced 99% that he is Johnny Gosh, says Ted Gunderson, a retired FBI agent who's been working on the Gosh case for more than a decade. The only way I'd be 100% sure is if there was a DNA test or if he admitted it. He bases that opinion on a confidential source from whom he claims to have videotaped testimony that he has him identifying Gannon as Gosh. My source has told me in the past that he has maintained contact with Johnny Gosh, said Gunderson. Let's just say he's in a position to know. The kids are all in touch with each other, and it's a bond they all share. The kids he refers to are those forced into the sex slavery rings and the government-sponsored mind and behavior-controlled programs. One of these kids is a man named Paul Bonacci, who claims to have participated in the kidnapping of Johnny Gosh and says he was forced to be the first person to molest Johnny. Bonacci has long claimed to be part of the vast network of children trained to work for the government and participate in deviant sexual acts to make the blackmail of politicians possible. This stuff is true, folks. This did happen. This is fact. In 1999, Bonacci won a $1 million lawsuit against Larry King, the former head of the Franklin Credit Union in Nebraska, whom he claimed forced him into the pedophilia ring. The federal judge ruled Bonacci was truthful in his testimony, which included his claim that he was one of several young male prostitutes known to have toured the White House in the 1980s. Gunderson claims that Bonacci is not his source for the Gannon is Gosh claim, but adds that Bonacci informed him a while back that Gosh had changed his appearance. John DeCamp, author of The Franklin Cover-Up, says Bonacci told him the same thing. I do know that Johnny Gosh altered his appearance and the changes I've heard about conform to how Gannon looks now, he says. Paul told me you could be standing right next to him and not know it's Johnny. And he says that Gannon has been asked the question, but he refuses to answer one way or another. A fellow in New York City went to his door and asked about him and his mother in Iowa, and he slammed the door on him, he says. He wouldn't talk about it at all. Noreen Gosh has seen the videotape that Gunderson made with this confidential informant, and he believes the man is credible. Ted sent me a videotape of his interview with his source, and he said, Gannon is Gosh. And he said it without hesitation and without blinking an eye, recalls Noreen. And he said he's known it for months. So when the theory was first proposed, Noreen's phone was ringing every 15 minutes, of course, with calls from bloggers, investigators, radio and TV stations, all asking if she would identify Gannon as her son. She has not done so. She sat with the numerous photos from the internet and compared them to those of Johnny herself and John Gosh Sr. looking for similar features. I could see some of the similarities that the bloggers were talking about, she says. I could see in Gannon the features that Johnny had. And the last time I saw Paul Bonacci, he told me that Johnny had changed his entire appearance again, that he shaved his head and is now going with that look for now. She says that the birthmark on Johnny's chest is very similar to a mark seen on Gannon's chest in at least one photo. And she points out that Gannon has a, has a spot on his right cheek in the same place as Johnny. So that, that's, that's pretty telling, folks. Sometimes she's almost convinced, but it's not quite enough, and she just can't or won't say for sure that Gannon is her son, and I can understand that. People have asked me why I can't recognize him if I saw him in 1997, and I tell them a picture from the internet is a lot different than someone sitting in your kitchen, she said. Noreen claims that Johnny visited her at her West Des Moines apartment in 1997. Now, there's a lot of people that claim bull on this, that this didn't happen, I have and see no reason for Noreen to lie about this, and especially the detail 
and the amount of information that she spouted from this meeting of Johnny just showing up at her door, but told her he could not come out of hiding. This is what Johnny told her at the time, because his life and hers would be put in grave danger. But what about her gut feeling, her maternal instinct? Honestly, it changes, she says. Sometimes I think, oh yeah, that looks like him. But other times, the jump is too much to think about. When you factor in the facts, it's hard to believe. I've spent a lot of sleepless nights over this, and I really wish I could say so for sure. But today, with everything going on with Epstein and all of the other information, which I already explained earlier, um, it really goes to back this information. It, it, it's not as crazy at all as it would have seen back in 2005 for this to be true. But Noreen is no fool. She knows the risk of saying one way or the other if she thinks this is her son. And if it is, and he's chosen not to say anything, she understands that he has reasons for this secrecy that are likely life-threatening, and her outing him could very well put him at risk. If she were to claim Gannon is Johnny and is proven wrong later, then any amount of credibility she has left would go out the window. Even if he, Gannon, admitted to it, I would still want to DNA test uh, done, uh, Noreen said. So this is surreal. It's, it's like I'm on the outside looking in. Almost 23 years have passed, and we know he's still alive, but to potentially have your loved one found is just unreal. It, if this would turn out to be Johnny, it would be a blessing for everyone to know what happened and to have it all wrapped up, Noreen said. That is unlikely to happen anytime soon, though, despite millions of words devoted to the subject on the web and investigations being conducted by hundreds of internet detectives, Gannon has not acknowledged the speculation. Despite this, some say Gannon has been providing clues to his real identity on his webpage, www.jeffgannon.com, which is still active. Now remember, this is back in 2005. Shortly after the theory was presented, Gannon posted an article titled Hiding in Plain Sight and has posted a column entitled Fear and Loathing in the Press Room. Fear and Loathing is a play on words um, from uh, Hunter S. Thompson's book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So that's that's very interesting, which some suggest is a reference to the recently deceased Hunter S. Thompson, who also was accused of involvement <clears throat> excuse me, in pedophilia, child slavery rings in the 1980s as well, and he was. Others suggest that his name itself is a clue to his real identity. Both Jeff Gannon and James Guckert share the same initials as Johnny Gosh. Furthermore, shortly after Johnny's disappearance, Noreen made a personal plea to the editor of the Des Moines Register, Johnny's employer. The editor printed her letter in the paper and mocked it by allowing the police department to dissect it. The editor's name was James Gannon. <laughs> I would say that those are subliminal messages, says Gunderson, an attempt on Gannon's part to let slip his identity. Jim Rothstein, a retired New York police detective who spent more than 35 years in the force, much of it investigating child slavery, pedophilia rings, and such, agrees that the evidence is strong that Gannon is actually Johnny Gosh. To me, Gannon looks like Johnny, says Rothstein. Everything just fits. The profile, the MO, everything. Rothstein has been involved as a private investigator on the Gosh case for the past several years and says he is working to get the final proof needed to determine Gannon's true identity. We're working on getting a tail on him and getting a DNA sample to test, he said. I still can't figure out why no one knows where Gannon was for 10 years. There have been some internet postings that give a timeline of Gannon's life, but according to to Rothstein, they are based on flimsy information that is not to be trusted. Records are easy to create, he says. Maybe this Guckert kid died and someone took over his identity. If it is not Johnny Gosh, then it's one of the other kids like Johnny Gosh. Noreen says, if this is all true, I don't think he was ready to be exposed just yet. So the Hunter and snuff films, meaning Hunter S. Thompson. The Gannon and Gosh connection was first made public early in the morning on February 20th. Later that same day, Hunter S. Thompson was found dead in his home, the victim of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot. I remember that day specifically. People would have thought to connect Thompson and Gosh 
they would have never have thought that, but those familiar with the tales of child abuse and pedophilia documented in, quote, the Franklin cover-up, a book first released in 1994 by former Nebraska State Senator John DeCamp, understand the association. It's real. In his book, DeCamp relates many interviews and discussions with Paul Bonacci, the young man who claims to have been involved with the kidnapping of Johnny Gosh. Bonacci told horrific tales of being forced into sex with adults and other children. In one case, he recalls being flown into Nevada with another young boy whom he did not know. They took on another passenger there and headed to a secluded location where Bonacci says he was forced to have sex with the younger boy. The young boy, Bonacci claims in this book, was also forced to have sex with the adult males, who then killed the boy with a gunshot to the head. Bonacci says he was then forced to have sex with the corpse. I'm sorry, folks. I know that's that's brutal, but it's part of the story here. The pastor they took on in Nevada filmed the entire thing, and Bonacci recalled that his name was Hunter Thompson. So there's the connection. I think it's strange that Hunter Thompson would commit suicide at that time, said Gunderson. Several kids told us he had direct directed snuff films. I think it's a strong possibility that he was murdered, and I strongly suspect that it's all connected. I, I would too. And the speculation on the internet has been that Thompson was either killed to prevent his coming forward or that he killed himself because he feared his role as a director of child snuff films would be proven true. DeCamp also expressed some surprise at the timing of Thompson's death and said he still believes Bonacci's claims as true. Stevenson, the blogger from Seattle who has investigated the Gosh case, is also suspicious. I wonder, did he know in light of Paul Bonacci's testimony regarding the snuff film? I submit he knew quite a bit, he says. The timing of his death was very interesting. The snuff film that Thompson allegedly made with Paul Bonacci is believed, based on Bonacci's description of the surroundings, to have been filmed at Bohemian Grove, a summer camp of sorts for the rich and powerful. Also, a actual place where many politicians, um, the Hollywood elite, other elites uh, do gather once a year for, I won't even explain it. We'll actually, we'll do an episode on that alone. It deserves its own full episode on Bohemian Grove, um, where they worship a massive owl, not our owl, but a natural owl called Moloch, and uh, perform uh, ritualistic uh, killings. And some say that they actually do it, uh, real killings up there, ritualistic killings at Bohemian Grove. So anyways, Bohemian, Bohemian Grove is a secluded area outside Sacramento, California, again, where world leaders and dignitaries meet annually for a retreat that involves neo-pagan activities, including mock human sacrifices made before a large owl statue referred as Moloch. While conducting this ritual, which they call the cremation of care, participants are dressed in druid robes that chant and sing before Moloch. Information on these gatherings has been well known for some time. Though video footage has only recently been leaked out of the site, the site is very secure and access is available only to a handful of people worldwide. As a child, Bonacci could never have had access to that site, but he described it accurately, including the large owl statue there at Bohemian Grove. Noreen Gosh says that on one recent evening, her website, www.johnnygosh.com, had more than 50 hits that came from within a 10-mile radius of Bohemian Grove. That's very interesting too. In her book, Why Johnny Can't Come Home, Noreen Gosh writes about a man who contracted her, contacted, I'm sorry, her just six months after Johnny's disappearance, claiming he worked with a government agency that was investigating pedophilia organizations. George Paul Bishop, often known just as Paul Bishop, claimed he was a CIA asset and arrived in Des Moines in July of 1984 to offer his assistance to the Goshes. Before he left, he provided, through his investigations, a detailed map of the kidnapping scene. Bishop, according to Noreen's book, often called the Gosh home from Washington, D.C. office of Senator Charles Grassley, with whom Noreen had worked on Johnny's case with. Many, many times, Paul Bishop would call me from Senator Grassley's office, and when finished speaking with me, he would hand the phone to one of Grassley's aides, who I was familiar with. 
Noreen recalled in her book, published in 2000. That convinced me Paul was an accepted visitor on the Hill in Washington. Based on this, Noreen believed that Bishop was responsible for securing her invitation to testify before Senator Arlen Specter's hearings on organized crime and its relationship to kidnapping at the U.S. Capitol. Bishop, in fact, picked Noreen up from her D.C. hotel and accompanied her to the hearings. Bishop became close with Noreen, even referring to her as mom. But suddenly, in 1985, he disappeared from the scene. The phone number he'd left was no longer valid, and no one knew how to contact him. No one had seen or heard from him in almost 20 years until he was suddenly arrested on February 4th of this year in Virginia, after police allegedly found an explicit video of a 16-year-old boy in his home. Detectives searched Bishop's home and found the tape after receiving a complaint that allowed that he was allowing teenage boys to drink and use drugs on the premises of the home. Noreen wonders now if Bishop was on the wrong side of Johnny's case all along. Was he involved in the kidnapping and merely running his smokescreen at the time to prevent discovery? Was, he, was his recent arrest an effort to keep him quiet about the larger story, a threat? Because there is a much larger story going on here, folks. I'm hoping that you're putting those pieces together. Or was he honest from the beginning in his recent arrest, merely an effort to discredit him before he reappeared and started making noise and threatening to expose the powerful people involved? Either way, Bishop seemed to know a lot about Johnny's disappearance in 1982 and his sudden reappearance on the scene coinciding with the outing of Jeff Gannon, the death of Thompson, and the arrest of another man involved with the case below in, in this article. It's just too much of a coincidence for some to accept. It's very common to set someone up and arrest him to discredit him, said Rothstein. Rusty Nelson claimed that he once turned down an offer of $50,000 from Hunter S. Thompson to help in the production of a snuff film. The other was allegedly made because Nelson worked closely with Larry King, the central figure in the Franklin cover-up, accused of running a pedophilia and child slavery ring. Nelson would often accompany King to elaborate parties where he worked as a photographer, taking photos of high-profile individuals in compromising positions with young boys and girls. No, this is not the uh, King uh, you know, that was with CNN, to totally different person, just to make that clear. Nelson testified in court that he participated as a photographer, but claims that though he took compromising photos, he never took any hardcore pornographic pictures that he absolutely refused any involvement with child pornography, but he claims that King employed a Nelson lookalike for this purpose in order to compromise both the powerful people in the photos and Nelson himself. Nelson has admitted taking tens of thousands of photos, many of which have been confiscated and either destroyed or permanently sealed to protect those depicted, but many, according to some reports, remain hidden. Despite his denials, Nelson has served time for his photography work, and having been arrested in Oregon years ago with a van full of these photos, at least one of which was said to involve a minor engaged in less than legal activity. He's been living in Nebraska for some time, providing that information he can to private investigators and trying to put his life back together. Most recently, he was working with a friend to open a studio that specializes in wedding photography. But two days after Thompson's death, Nelson was rounded up by the police and arrested, reportedly for failing to register as a sex offender in a county of which he was no longer a resident. John DeCamp bailed Nelson out of jail and says he thinks the arrest was intended as a warning to him and others that they best keep their mouth shut. Others agree with that too. John DeCamp did bail him out. That's true. So we can, uh, we can back that up. The timing is interesting, said Stevenson, especially given Thompson's death and Paul Bishop's arrest, uh, recent arrest, and I would place a suicide watch on both of them, meaning <laughs> like an Epstein watch. I think there's a fixin' to be a heap of manure hitting the air circulating device soon, he adds. I wonder about the timing. I have been wondering why all these people have all of a sudden come out of the woodwork at this time. I wonder if there is a purge going on. I don't think injustice ever leaves the public consciousness. I think there is far more going on here than we know. So why now? After all this time, after the activity and renewed interest in the Johnny Gotch case and the tales of 
child abduction, slavery, and prostitution in general, to the theory that Gannon is actually Johnny Gosh hit too close to home and threatened to expose those with secrets to keep? One suggestion is that increased media attention has the players in the decades-old scandal getting jumpy and looking to protect themselves. Nick Bryant, the man who confronted Gannon at his home and asked him about Johnny Gosh, has apparently been working on the story for several years and has been shopping the finished product around for a publisher. Rothstein said he's been working with Bryant for at least three years and that Bryant was originally commissioned to do the story for Rolling Stone, which has since turned down the finished piece that he created. The New York Times and several other outlets have reportedly shown interest in the story recently as well. Bryant declined to comment either on the Gannon situation or his involvement in writing a story, but Rothstein says that Bryant began showing the piece around. The players involved have once again become active. Something is cooking here now, he says. They'll have to throw someone to the wolves, but there is no telling how high that this will go, meaning as far as the people that are you know, involved here. Everyone involved in the story acknowledges that it sounds like a wacky conspiracy theory, but the evidence of the conspiracy is way too vast, they say, to simply dismiss it. I'm a conspiracy realist because there is a conspiracy out there, says Gunderson, who says that just two weeks ago, he was chased through his neighborhood by an unknown man with a gun. Adds Rothstein, if two people were involved in kidnapping that kid, then it's a conspiracy. Well, these people don't work alone, so... It's a conspiracy. They try to discredit you by recalling or calling you a conspiracy theorist. And that's the way it works with everything, folks. I think uh, most people can understand that. Damn right I'm a conspiracy theorist, he said, because that's what it is. Still, in the end, this is a story about a young boy stolen from his home and his family. This simple tragedy is often lost in the complicated theories and conjecture, but it remains the single undeniable truth to the entire story. I hold out hopes that we'll be able to have regular communication with him, Noreen said of her son. We know he's alive, and up until a couple years ago, we knew that he was doing what he was doing and where. Maybe he could keep in touch with his mom, but moving back to Des Moines to live a life here? Those windows of opportunity have closed. I hear the horrible things people say about me, and I can only imagine that they would say about him if he were to move back there, given things that he's been through. Johnny knows I tried, and who's to say it's all over? We don't know yet. If this is it, we're the final days, this is all going to blow wide open. But again, we know this was an article from back in 2005, and it hasn't blown wide open. That's because there's very powerful people involved here, folks, and I can assure you that it's true. Um, Again, I urge you to go back to uh, Pull Up a Pew podcast, download that, There's lots of great interviews on there that I've been working on with some incredible people, but I also do uh, three episodes on the Bethel Baptist Boys and Girls Home Cult series that is really runs parallel to what's going on here to Johnny Gosh. Um, And that, you know, this is not a conspiracy. These things do occur and they occur right under everybody's nose. Again, there's thousands of these locations, not just the United States, but all around the world. So, Again, uh, I just want to mention about the $3 a month Patreon. If you guys feel we're doing a good job, a service here, if you've downloaded the Owl Once Was Lost application for iOS and Android, and I encourage you obviously to do that now if you haven't done it yet, but to please support us. Um, we, we need that to keep that application going. It was created completely for you guys and uh, all of this good work that uh, we're doing and Nick's doing by keeping that up up and going. And we're going to be adding quite a bit more to that also with these cold cases that we're diving into each week. And then when we have an actual missing persons, obviously we'll be working on that immediately uh, and in real time. So I'd urge you to go to patreon.com forward slash once was lost. And please join at the, just the $3 level a month. That's all that we ask. We have higher tiers where you can get merch like, uh, a shirt with the very cool logo on it and also a level where you can get a mug with the logo on it. There's other products available as well, but we want to find somebody else other than Patreon to do that with. So that's why we're just encouraging people to, you know, just stick with the $3 a month. And if everybody that has this 
as the OWL app were to do that, we would have more than enough to keep this going, keep it running every week, keep it uh, from ever crashing, um, meaning the application and that it's working properly uh, when you need it most, when your child or loved one happens to go missing. We knock on wood and hope that never happens, but it does happen and it happens quite frequently. So you need to protect yourself from that and you need to make that prophylactic in, uh, you know, doing it now before it happens. Don't wait until it happens and then either forget about this or fumble through it and try to download it and try to upload information and everything. It's just lost time. You've got to find that missing person in the first hour. You lose so much. If they're not found in that first hour, if they're abducted, there's only a 6% shot at finding them still alive. That is unacceptable. I've said that on every show. And that's the only thing that we're asking for at this time. And that will help support the phone application at this time which is completely free, always will be free. There's no ads, nothing to clutter up your phone. It's just a tool. You put it on there, set it, forget it. God forbid the worst happens. It's immediately there and you upload the missing person's information, the, the who, what, where, and when. And it then goes out immediately to everybody in your area that can begin searching immediately. If they're out driving around or if they're at home, they can go out, get their car and drive around and start looking. Uh, provide, you know, based off of the information that you provided. So again, that's uh, patreon.com forward slash once was lost. That's it. Just go there and uh, please sign up. And we're going to be adding a lot of other things right now. We'll make you a producer of the show. We'll start to read out names here. Eventually we do have people that have already started last week um, at that level, at the $3 level. And we had a couple that did opt for the shirt at this time. So that's just completely up to you guys, but we do need the help and we need five star reviews. Just hit the five stars on the Apple, uh, podcast. All you do is just scroll down to the bottom, uh, before the podcast is, and you'll see the five star, uh, and the written review portion where you can do. We please, we we're basically you know, just begging you to do that because people just forget and you know they think well somebody else is going to do it it doesn't work like that we need each and every person that's listened to this show that's you know gotten some enjoyment from it um, from from the stories and got you interested in them and what's going on because these are all solvable that's why we're doing them so that's it for now um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, end the story for today and we're gonna get into the Tara Calico case next week. That's also an incredible story. And uh, if you looked last week uh, or the week before when I posted the Polaroid uh, episode, there's another Polaroid. There's another picture there that looks like uh, the girl Tara Calico in the photo. Some people have said that it's it's some kids just making it up. They're, they're just, they're, look at their faces, folks. Look at the picture. They're not making this up. This is the real photo that was found in a parking lot here in Florida. And these kids are, and I believe that the, that the girl is Tara Calico. It just looks way too much like her. So that's it. This is Drew and I'm out. Thanks guys and gals.